0: It says, Thus say of the Lord, God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say, What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here? That thou hast hewed thee out a sepulcher here, as he that heweth him out a sepulcher on high, and a grave of inhabitation for himself in a rock. And so here's the treasure um that um basically was building a giant tomb to himself. It was as if it was a mansion, a, a, a giant rock and stone. This was some elaborate um tombstone that he was building for himself while he was to be serving is the um treasure. Um, in, in, in this place. He goes, Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die, and there the curious of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open... And none shall shut. And he shall shut. And none shall open. And none would be able to go before the king. Without his um, permission. And the key of the house. of, uh, or In verse 23. And I will fasten him. Is a nail In a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne. To his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in a sure place be removed, and be cut down, and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord have spoken it. In this last verse, verse 25, um, commenters, um, theologians, they kind of d- um, differ on what they think this last part is talking about. Because just previously it talks about how this will not be removed, that this will, um, be, he will be fastened as the nail. Some believe, though, that towards the end of his life, that um, God pulled the nail out and brought judgment upon Judah. Others believe that this is talking simply about Shebna, that in the day that this other man is put in fasting and now in one place, the other man is removed. Well, either way, um, this is the people of Judah were behaving like their pagan um, neighbors. And so it was only right that Isaiah would include the nation of Judah is um, part of the nations that God would judge. That um, yes, in His mercy, the Lord would deliver Judah or deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrian army, but He would not deliver them from Babylon for a time. In the overall context, Isaiah pointed out two particular sins that would cause Judah to decline. And ultimately, to go into captivity in Babylon. In the first fourteen verses, um, there's um, you can re- read this later, or even maybe read this. I'm teaching if you're able to multitask. But it's the unbelief of the people, number one. And Isaiah says Jerusalem was a quote unquote joyous city, as people engaged in all kinds of celebrations. And i um, verse thirteen. Um, we see their model, and behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Um, their attitude, their mindset, their lifestyle was, let's party hard, let's celebrate, because we're all going to die one day anyways. And so there, there was an um, unbelief, though, in, the, in what God had promised would come. Um, The prophet did not participate in the parties, for he saw the day coming when death, destruction would reign in the city of David. The people went up to the housetops, but the prophet went down into one of the three valleys around Jerusalem, and God ended up giving him a vision. And he saw people dying. Not from wounds, not from battle wounds, but from famine and disease. He's in verse 22. He saw the nation's rulers fleeing in fear as the enemy army then came to, was approaching. And the people would do everything possible to prepare for this long siege. They would collect armor. They would fortify their walls. They would service the water supply and building a reservoir between the walls. But all this frantic preparation would not deliver them from the enemy. No, they did not believe God in what God was telling them and warning them. And they, they, the people did everything except trust in the Lord. Instead of feasting, they should have been fasting, weeping, praying. God had sent the nation many prophets to warn them. But the people would not listen. Now it was too late. Their sins would not be forgiven because their hearts had become so hard. Judah would go into captivity and God's word to Isaiah would be fulfilled as God gave him in division. And so the people did not trust in the Lord as a whole, but also their leaders were unfaithful. They had unfaithful leaders. Had the leaders been faithful to um, to the Lord and called the people to repentance, there might have been hope. You know, people might have been taking heed and go, okay, you know what? There's our leaders. It's not just the prophets that's been coming, but the leaders are crying out for repentance. But like leaders like Shebna only thought of himself. He was second to King Hezekiah in authority, but he had used his authority and possibly the king's money to build himself the monumental tomb. You know, kind of like you see in Egypt, you got the pyramids, and they really serve as gigantic tombs to the pharaohs who they revered and viewed as gods. While well, Shebna was building his own monumental tomb and acquired many chariots, and he was not a spiritual man, and he probably sided with the pro-Egypt party in Judah. God judged Shebna by demoting him, as we see later that he became a scribe instead of being the treasurer, and um, then God eventually deported him. As The Bible uses the language that he would be thrown like a ball into another country, um, possibly, probably Assyria. And, and, and he ended up dying there. And now he would not have his expensive funeral. He spent all the money, had the tomb, had this monumental tomb built up for him, but instead he dies in another country. He did not get the glory that he was seeking after. And God chose a new man, Eliakim. He would, what The name means God will raise up, and he called him my servant. Instead of exploiting the people, he would be as a father to them. That, um, he would use his key, his authority, for the good of the nation. He would be like a dependable nail. You know, he's compared to as a nail. I've used this illustration in the message in the past, um, a few years ago. But he was is a nail fastened in a sure place. Um, it's, it's a nail hammered into a wall. It's, we got a nail um, hammered into um, behind that clock, holding that clock up. It keeps it from falling on your head. We didn't just put a little bit of sticky tape on. Okay? okay? It's holding it up. It's dependable. And the Bible is comparing Eliakim. is a nail in a sure place. In verse 23 it says, "...and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his Father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his Father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity." from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. Eliakim was a faithful man. It was someone the Lord called my servant. Eliakim was a godly man, a faithful man. And the Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. A faithful man. Someone that is faithful. You know, so often people in our human nature, we give up when there's adversity. And we end up missing out on the blessing. But a faithful man abounds with blessings. We live in a day where it is scarce to find a godly and faithful man or a godly and faithful woman. Psalm 12.1 says, "Help, Lord, for the godly man sees; him. for the faithful fell from among the children of men." I hear thousands of years ago, it was very few and far between where there were faithful people. Eliakim, though, was a faithful man. As it says he was fastened. He was just a nail fastened in a sure place. You know, as people where to be is the nail, to be faithful. You know, different nails. They come in different shapes, they come in different sizes, they come in different colors, they come with different purposes. There's particular nails for um, different needs. You know, you're not going to use a gigantic, enormous nail to hold up the clock, but you may use one to hold up some type of beam. But so there's all kinds of variety as nails. And you know, in the church body, there's all kinds of variety of people. You know, we have people from different nationalities. You know, what people often refer to as different races, where we really all come from the human race. We all descend from Adam and Eve. The Bible says that God has made of all nations one blood. That we all are descendants from Adam and Eve. You know, racism is an attack against the image of God of what God had made us in His image and that He would make us different shades of brown from darker to lighter. But we're all made in the image of God. And we're all to be faithful to our purpose. You look at nails. Nails are made pointed. They're not made blunt. They're made Pointed, And God wants us to be pointed. He wants us to be sharp. We throw away dual nails. You know, as we're doing different remodeling and stuff, we'd find some old used nails. um, They're dual. We didn't use them. We got rid of them. They went in the trash. You know, God doesn't want us to be dual Christians. But to be sharp to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. That you don't have to always go say something like, someone asks you a Bible question, you don't have to say every single time, I don't know, let's go talk to a pastor. No, you can become sharp, knowledgeable in the Word of God yourself, and be able to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Now, there may be times where you don't know the answer. And it's okay. I go, you know what? Let's go talk to someone else. Let's talk to the pastor. Um, you know what? Maybe he could give us um, some education on what the Scripture is teaching here. And there may be times where I go, you know what? I don't know. You know what? Let me talk with someone else. And you know, I'll try and find an answer to help you out. But we shouldn't have to do that every single time. You know, in knowing the Word of God... It's not reserved just for the pastors, for the deacons, but we're all as a body. We have access to the Word of God and we ought to be sharp in our knowledge of God's Word. Paul told Timothy, Thou therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also? Thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that war of entangle of himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. There Paul tells Timothy, Commit thou to faithful men. You know it's so often. In ministry, the natural inclination is to always help those that are going through problems. They're going through troubles, and oftentimes they're self-inflicted. You know, oftentimes, you know when, when I was a bus captain, you know, you often would, you would work hardest on the one that would be missing church on Sunday. You know, you keep trying to visit them, falling up, you'd work hard. But the danger was in not committing to the faithful. Those that are there at all times. Don't look at it as, uh, we're not to look at it as, okay, you know what, they're faithful, they don't need any attention, let's just help the others. Now there's a time and a place where, where, as Jesus said, which one of you don't, Um, if you have a hundred sheep and you have 99 and one of them is wandering, you do go try and find that which was lost. So there's a balance in it all, but we see over and over in the Scriptures to commit thou to faithful men. To commit to those that are faithful. Because then when you're committed to those that are faithful, as the Bible says, then they shall also be able to teach others. They'll be able to teach others also. Your efforts could be multiplied. It's a church body. It's a ministry. That when it's not just one person trying to do the work of ministering to people, but you commit to the faithful, those that are plugged in, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, they want to learn the Word. You invest in them, and then they will likewise be able to invest in others. And so we're to be nails that are pointed, that are sharp, where do you invest in those that, are able to teach, that will be able to teach others also? And you notice, nails go a certain direction. I've never bought a box of nails that said, hammer on this side. Okay, Maybe some of you have. Maybe they used to. I don't know. But I've never found a box that said, hammer on this side. And you would think they would because some of the things you get, they got so long instruction manual that you don't even know what to do because it's so fine print. But with nails, you know, it's common sense. They expect it to be common sense at least. It is a given. If nails go the wrong direction, they'll get bent or they'll cause damage. If we tried nailing into this wall here, it's just going to cause more damage if you do it backwards. They were meant to go a certain direction. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Okay, so with tools, you know what? There's times where it's better to sharpen the axe. You know what? Sharpen the tools. Sharpen them. And then you don't have to put as much strength, as much energy into it when you got a sharp tool. The Bible says, "In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." Proverbs 11:5 says, "The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness." And so nails, to be used right, go in a certain direction. And if we're going to be used of the Lord, we need to be going in a certain direction. Not to be trying to go in backwards. Not trying to go the opposite way that God wants us to go. We see Jonah went the opposite when God told him to go in Nineveh. He went the opposite way. He ended up being thrown in the sea, swallowed by a well. I think all of us would say we would rather avoid those kind of consequences. So if we go the direction the Lord wants us to go, then he will, He'll continue to direct our paths. Now, and Nails follow the direction of their carpenter, of their master. This nail does not just all of a sudden hammer itself in. It doesn't just go... I, I can't just say to it, okay, go into the wall. That would have been real spooky if it did, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it doesn't just move on its own. It follows the direction of the carpenter. They don't hammer themselves in. The carpenter now sits in. And that's where in our life, to be faithful men, to be faithful women, to be faithful children, we ought to yield ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, use me. Hammer me in whatever direction You say I need to be going in. To follow His will. To seek what His desire is for our life. And you know, direction... It's more important than distance. You know, sometimes we could go in a little bit. You know, we need to go in sufficient, but you know what? We could maybe go in a little bit further, maybe even a little bit further when we when we're now in something in. But what was important is that the direction is in the right, going the right way. If I'm trying to hang something on here, it's probably not going to work best if I just nail into the sheetrock and not into a stud. More likely, it's just going to fall over time, if not right away. And so, the direction is more important than the distance. And you know, one could be newly saved. You know what just recently trusted in Christ is their Savior. And while while another could have been saved for a long time, but not doing right. You know, a direction is more important than distance. We must go the right direction. You know, there could be a newborn Christian in our church, and man, they're on fire for the Lord. They may not have the same biblical conviction standards that some of you maybe have. But they're going the right direction. You know what, maybe some are trying to overcome some addictions they've had their whole life. And you may not have that addiction. But maybe they're drawing closer to the Lord, while we could be end up getting bitter, or having just a bad attitude, um, being discontent. Or you've been saved for many years, but you're going the wrong direction. Whereas the new Christian, they're on fire for the Lord and they may not have the same standards that you have, but they're going the right direction. And then while we could be backsliding. And so direction is more important than distance. You know, it's my hope that as a church body that we have some Christians, they're very mature, they're very strong in the faith, they're strong in their knowledge of doctrine. But I hope we have some people in our church that... They don't really know much about doctrine. They know they're saved. Or maybe they're not even there yet. But maybe the Spirit of God's working on their life. And you know what's important is the direction they're going. It's not necessary how far they've made it yet. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He wasn't in Sodom at first. He just had his tent pitched toward Sodom. And then eventually, that's where He was. And then destruction fell upon the city because of great wickedness. Draw nigh unto God, and He will draw, draw nigh unto thee. And you know what? Sometimes we can go going the wrong direction when we don't even know it. And if you've been down a one-way street and you're going the wrong way, and then you just finally realize it when you see oncoming traffic... Maybe it's never happened to you, but it's happened to me. Um, And and if I didn't notice it, my wife will certainly let me notice pretty quickly. (laughs) But sometimes we could end up going the wrong direction without even knowing it. And that's where we need to yield our lives to Christ. You know, you don't buy nails already bent. You know, you don't go to the store and go, Hey, could I get the bent nails? Could I get the ones that are broken? Could I get the dull ones? Now, The the Lord likewise desires to use straight nails. You read about men like Joseph, Daniel, people that were were straight for the Lord. It's important that we take heed in our walk um, with God. Second Corinthians seven one says, "Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." And so you know, take heed what you allow to influence you. Not to allow the devil or the world to make us crooked or bent. God wants to use us straight. Job fourteen four says. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Elsewhere, it talks about can a, can a leopard remove its spots? You know, can the crooked um, be made straight? And the answer is oftentimes, you know what? A bro- broken testimony. Damaged testimony. It could be hard to get that straight again. And you know, like with a nail, you know, we we kind of straighten the nail out, but usually it's still weaker. Now, there's still going to be used. And you know what? Thankfully, we do have a God that can straighten things out perfectly. He can take that which is crooked. He can take that which is bent. He could take that life that was marred by sin and then transform them and use them for His glory. Sometimes we will use use nails when we don't have other ones, but we will straighten them out first um, when that's needed. We see that Moses ended up committing murder against an Egyptian. He didn't like seeing the fight going on, and he committed murder. We see Abraham had a child with um, their handmaid. That was, a, that was a hindrance, and I ended up becoming a thorn in their side long term. But yet God still used them. We see Saul ordered for Christians to be killed. Who late, who he, later, he became the Apostle Paul. One who was consenting to the death of Christians, later got used to be one of the greatest Christian evangelists in history. God could take that which is crooked and make it straight. God will put a little pressure on us to straighten us. He will purify us through the fire as He sees fit. But Jesus is the master carpenter. God could redeem that crooked now. That bent now. That broken now. um, That person that is filled with guilt from their past. God could wash your sin away. And use you fresh and new. And nails are made for a purpose. They're made to connect. They're made to connect things. You know, it, it connect the sheetrock to the stubs. It connects them. You know, for and everywhere. The nails are used to connect things. And it's a ministry, it's a local church. That's what our purpose is. We're to connect people to the Savior. We're to lead them through the Word of God. And with the Spirit of God working in their life, as we give them the Word of God, it's, it's a now trying to connect them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're to connect to one another, to build community It's a local church, to um, help one another, to serve one another, you know, it's been such a blessing, you know, we have a newborn baby and we've already had several people from the church bring us meals and we've we had another church bring us some meals and stuff. My wife must have told them how bad I cook. I don't know. They're having mercy and stuff. But see, so yeah, it's a wonderful relationship. And you know, when, when someone else, you know, just has surgery or has a baby, you know, we likewise do that um, for others. Well, you know, we're connected with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to connect broken marriages back together. To reconnect the backsliding Christian, get them back involved in serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. We want to connect a wayward teenager back with their parents. Many times it's the other way around and we need to get the wayward parent connected to their children. We see in Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." See what happens first is the fathers turning their hearts to the children. You know a lot of the problems we have in our culture today is because there weren't any fathers in the home, or they were home but they weren't there mentally. They were so consumed, focused on their on their own things. That they didn't strive to raise their children for the Lord and strive to connect as a father figure, as their father, to their children. The disrespect you see in schools, oftentimes it comes, oftentimes, when there's no father in the home. And you know what? The earth is smitten with a curse. The earth smitten with a curse. Because the lack of fatherhood. Second Corinthians 5:18 says, "And all things are of God who have reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation." We're to be reconciling things. We're to reconcile people to God. We're supposed to reconcile with one another. We're to be a now. To connect things. When we nail in or screw in plywood to the floor or drywall to the wall, they weren't made to just go halfway. You don't see a bunch of screws or nails popping out of here. They were meant to go all the way in. They're made to go all the way in. Now, sometimes there's a certain purpose, okay? If we put it all the way in, that clock wouldn't be able to go up, okay? But it had to be in enough to have stability to hold it. We were meant to be all the way plugged in. We weren't to just be half hearted Christians. We weren't to be just, yeah, you know what, church is, I'll be in church, you know, if I don't have anything else to do. No, it ought to be a priority. You know, we see John Mark. We mentioned him in Sunday school. He went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, but he pulled out. He pulled out. Who knows how much that hindered or hurt the ministry on that journey? Because he did not go, he pulled out. We see in Isaiah when God pulls that nail out, when he's, he's judgment falls, you know, thing, things that are undesirable happen. John Mark was unprofitable for that missionary journey. Came up, you know what? Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. Paul was like, I'm done with him. He abandoned us last time. He couldn't tough it out. And there was sharp contention between them and they ended up going separate ways. Paul with Silas, Barnabas with John Mark. He was right. Paul or Barnabas. I think they both were. You know what? Sometimes our children in learning character... They need to suffer consequences. Sometimes they're not allowed to go somewhere because of their lack of character, at least in that instance, or their disobedience. And so perhaps he learned character from Paul, but he, and he learned compassion from Barnabas and to give second chances. And we see in the end, Paul, while he's in prison, he says, Send me John Mark, for he is profitable unto me in the ministry. For he didn't want to give him a second chance. But he saw through Barnabas giving him another chance, he ended up becoming profitable for him in the ministry. Helpful, a servant, one that was able to minister to the needs. And you know what? Sometimes in church, sometimes the wife is all the way in, but the husband hasn't gotten all the way in. They're in part way. Other times, the husband loved the Lord, but the wife never gets all the way in. And even though they may be in church, it could be frustration because they don't have the same level of heart for the things of the Lord. I remember the last um, church I was at in Bremerton um, there was a woman that was praying for her husband. She was coming to church and she was praying for him and just praying, Lord, you know, I'd like him to come to church with us and the kids. And he came. He um, he came, um, became a member of the church, got involved, served the Lord in the church, became a deacon, and then she was she was actually saying, you know what? Yes, I hoped he'd get in church, but I didn't think he was going to get this crazy about it. I didn't know it was going to happen. And she was having a hard time because he was always wanting to serve the Lord. She was part way in. She wanted him part way in. But he got all the way in. And eventually, she got all the way in too. Serving the Lord. So be now this all the way in. Be faithful. Nails are not typically noticed. You look around in this room, and you won't notice very many nails. You might not even be able to see any. You know, if one's somewhere, there might be some in the trim somewhere. I see one over there, see a couple. But not very many nails are noticeable. You know what? Their, their main purpose isn't for recognition. Now, we're recognizing the nails right now. We're talking about them. You know and I'm talking about how we appreciate them. You know I appreciate the nails holding this sheetrock up. I appreciate it. You know, I like the paint that we got on it too. Okay? But we don't see it. We're not seeing it, but we know it's working. We know it, the functionality is working. The nails may be painted over, but what is more important to the structure of the building? the paint or the nails. We don't see the nails. So we see the paint. But the nails are what's most important. I like having the paint, though? It makes it look nicer. But what was most important is the nails to the structure. And we ought to be a humble people not needing recognition. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, tribute to whom tribute is due. You know, we see that Paul, we talked about in Sunday school, he recognized Timothy and, um, and, and talked about how wonderful Timothy was to the ministry. He spoke about Epaphroditus recognizing him. So it's not wrong to recognize people. And I understand that sometimes, you no, know, we get embarrassed when we're recognized. And in other people, some people get upset when they're not recognized. Sometimes it's the same person. You know, they get upset if you don't recognize them, and they get upset if you do recognize them. Amen. Hmm. But now they're typically unnoticed. Bible says, "Likewise, the younger submit yourselves unto the elder; yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time." The nails are just humble; they're not caring for the recognition. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Nails support things. They hang things. Sometimes people will say, I don't want anybody hanging on me. I don't want any pressure. But you know, that's what the ministry is about. Where do you bear burdens with one another? You know, nobody calls the bartender in the middle of the night. Would you come help us? It's the Christians that they call on. The ones that are fully nailed in. Those that are completely sold out for Christ. So be a burden bearer. Just as the nails hold things up. Be a burden bearer. You remove the nail and that which is hanging on it falls. God didn't design for us to be pulled out. The devil will try to attack the faithful, the devoted, the leaders, to get them to fall, as he knows, it will often bring greater discouragement on the many as a whole. You know, he's often after the parents. Because if he could get the parents, he'll negatively affect the children as well. Zechariah 11.2 says, Hell, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen. When that cedar tree falls, all those small trees fall too. And so strive to be faithful. Stay humble. Don't get haughty in your faithfulness. But stay humble. asking the Lord to help. Sin pulls us out from being faithful, fruitful Christians. You know, you never read on a tombstone, I wish I had sinned more. But many will confess, I wish there was one day or one season of my life that I wish I could do over. Things that I could do differently. The Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Jesus was faithful to us. And we did not deserve His faithfulness. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible talks about how He would be cut off, but not for Himself, but for us. That he would die in our place as our substitute. We who d- we who deserve to die and go to hell. None of us are righteous. in of our-